Hello, we are Restoration Church Chicago and welcome to our podcast. You can connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Our mission is to glorify Jesus everywhere, and that includes right here, right now. Thanks for tuning in. So, I, for those of you that, that don't know, we have a, I have a 21-year-old son in his third year of college. And when we um, sent him away to college, it was, you know, there was a buildup. There's a lot of anxiety to, uh, to that time because it, you, things were going to change. Things were going to look different, right? And so, as a parent, you're thinking, what do I got to tell him? What do I got to warn him about? What insight does he need to have? And so, I had volumes of lectures in my head, conversations, warnings, things like that, that, that led up to it. Um, and at, at the end of the day, the time is coming up, and I mean, I'm more anxious than he is probably. So at the end of the day, time comes, it was August of about three years ago, and uh, I did none of that. I gave him nothing. I gave him a Bible, which was already his anyways, and a devotional. And I was like, hey, read this every night. Best I got for you, man. Because <laughs> I was like, <laughs> because... Um, like I said, it, was, it, it, was, it, would have, it would have been nice. Now, of course, everything was going to change. The relationship was going to look different. And, and we're here three years later, and, and he still calls on me. But he's, 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 he's walking in a, in a different sort of state. He's not coming home at 6 o'clock every night um, you know, with assurance. We can't, I can't fix his problems for him. I can't cover for him. I can't you know, wake him up in the morning, things like that. So it, it does look different. So we spent the last two months breaking down what is called Jesus' farewell um, discourse. This is, this, is, this is chapter 13, the middle of chapter 13, all the way through now. So three and a half chapters of, of Jesus in, in basically what amounts to one conversation. And so the Bible breaks that down section by section, and we're preaching that section by section. It's obviously layered with, with truth and layered with depth, and so it has to be done that way. But think about this taking place over the course of a, of a, of a few hours. This one conversation that, that, that Jesus is having with these people. And, and think of, imagine the sense of urgency with, with what this message carries. Imagine the emotion, the anxiety, you know, wanting to make sure that, that, that they have exactly what they need to have because in a, in a matter of hours, it's going to change. Things are going to look totally different. I want us to, to hold that focus on this being like one conversation for the sake of this one because we are wrapping up. Right, we're wrapping up this discourse. We're going to be moving into Easter next week. It, the timing is, is pretty good um, for as far as we've come. But keeping that in mind that this is one conversation, I want, to, I want to look at some of the things that are repeated over and over again because Jesus does make a lot of statements and says it in different ways. First of all, we can glean from this that God shares his plan. He lets us know what to look for and what's ahead. He still speaks that way today. If we're honest and we're looking for where God is speaking, he is sharing his plan. Oftentimes it's us um, looking where we want to look for answers and, and God's pointing us in different directions. But he does share his plan. He does outline things to us and he speaks individually. He emphasizes in, this, in these chapters that he's going away. He's emphasizing that for a reason because physically he's not going to be there. This is going to be a shock to the system of, of, of us human beings, right? 
because we don't physically have that presence. It's, it's a lot easier to ask somebody a question who's right in front of you. Your senses want that physical presence. But he's doing that and he's pointing that and he's emphasizing that to the disciples because he needs to tune them into this, to this spiritual lens that, he's gonna be, that we're going to be looking at the world through. We have to tune into that spiritual lens. And he says, although I'm physically going away, that connection that you have with me is going to be there and it's going to be stronger because you're going to have my spirit dwelling inside of you. You're going to have my spirit dwelling inside of you. So where, where, where are you looking? Where are you tuning in? You're going to have my power. You're going to have my attributes. You're going to have access to everything through that spiritual um, connection. He emphasizes over and over our need to remain in him. So where's our focus? Attached to him, abiding in him. You know, Mike, Michael Eaton, a commentator, uh, a preacher out of, out of South Africa who I've been turned on to recently, um, he says this fellowship with Jesus is the key to the Christian life. Fellowship with Jesus is the key to the, I mean, it's so, it's so simply put. Friendship with Jesus is the key to the Christian life. Where's your focus? It should be friendship with Jesus. Finally, he emphasizes that we as disciples are to love each other. We have to love each other. That's the command that he gives at the very beginning of this discourse. And the reason for that is, is, is evident if you think about it, right? Love is this binding force. It, it brings us all together in, in this relationship, right? And it brings the body together. And it's, it's really the avenue through which God, God, God glues the body together. He builds the local church and brings that out into the world through love. And why do we need to be in that? Why do we need that? Because standing alone against the world, which, by the way, hates you, as he mentions, hates you because of him, is going to be a hard task standing alone. There are a lot of Christians out there, and maybe we waver too. I know I waver, and I, and I can become lukewarm very quickly. And a lukewarm Christian against the world is, you know, hiding. They're no threat. The world doesn't care about that because you're no threat to them when you're a lukewarm Christian. But when you're in the body and you're standing strong in the body, when you're drawing your strength from the body, you become a threat, and therefore you potentially face that suffering that he's warning us about. So, as I see it, we have a God. This is, this, is, this is highlighted throughout this thing. We have a God who always lays out his plan. He speaks to us individually regarding the heart of the matter. But he does his speaking in the spirit, which requires our focus to be fellowship with him first. And he's always good on his promise. His resurrection proves his trustworthiness. So what does Jesus exemplify, or what Jesus does, I'm sorry, is exemplify how God speaks to us today. If we're willing to put our faith and trust in him and focus our fellowship with him, everything else is static in the line. Everything. He has it under control. The discourse actually made me think of a nostalgic time. Um, I don't know if anybody ever remembers this, this song from the 90s. It goes something like this. Sometimes I dream that he is me. You got to see that's how I dream to be. Anybody remember that song? Shake your head yes or no, please. I know, I know Alex remembers that song. No. And it ends up with like Mike. If I could be like Mike, okay? If you were in Chicago in the 90s, if you were here in the 90s, you, were, you, you, you had to be caught up with the Bulls, even if you weren't a sports fan. It, 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 Michael Jordan, right? I mean, the Bulls, the 90s. Now, for us, now this is, I'm going I'm to stretch this metaphor a little bit, but, but I love this story, and, and, and it connected with me when I was preparing this. You know, we, we were watching somebody who was, like, just dynamic, take over games, impose his will. He was known as somebody who, who transcended the game, right? In the game of basketball, Michael Jordan was sovereign and almighty. If basketball was life, Michael Jordan was 
beyond it. He was over it. And, and you saw this thing happen. I mean, day in and day out, you could see this person take over games. I and mean, everybody knew that. Two players knew that. He could impose his will on a game. And the Bulls had won, you know, three championships in a row in the early 90s. Then Michael Jordan retired. And then he came back, so they lost, so they didn't win two. And then they're on their second round of three-peats. And now we're in 1998. 1998, and the Bulls are going to face the Indiana Pacers in the Eastern Conference Finals, and the Bulls didn't look good. I mean, this was called the last dance. The news, we knew this. The Bulls had already said they were going to break up the team after this. They were old. And, and they're, they're getting beat up, but they're still kind of winning, but they're getting beat up. And they get to game six of the Eastern Conference Finals against this Indiana Pacers team, which was younger, stronger, tougher, just, you know, it was their time. It should have been their time to dismantle the Bulls. And they go into game six. If they win that game, they go on to the championship, and we all get what we kind of expected, right, which we, what we thought what the Bulls can't lose, right? And they get to game six, and they lose, and they lose. And so now they're forced into a game seven. For the sec only the second time ever in that, in that seven-year run are they now brought to a game seven. This is an elimination game. This is, this is it. This is death. This is legacy hanging on this game. And a sports writer, because we all knew that this was not looking good, you, you wouldn't have necessarily bet on the Bulls because you knew they were going to win. If you were betting on the Bulls, it was because you were a fan. The safe bet, the money bet, would have been on Indiana. And a sports writer asked Michael about some of these critics and about how he was feeling. And it's iconic. And, I mean, if, if you're into sports and if you have, the, like, the sport metaphor thing, I watch this video about every three years because it just it brings me chills. So I'm sharing it with you. He's got this tape on his eyes, like he had a cut, so he had like butterfly tape on his eyes. He looks just, you know, he looks like like death doorstep. And he says with all confidence and assurance, he says, if we sit here and worry about what people think about us, then we don't have a chance. They still got to come through Chicago, Utah, Indiana, still got to come through Chicago. I don't care what happens today. I don't care what happens in the other series. Still got to come through Chicago. We will win game seven. A lot of people call their shots and predict predict their shots, but not a lot of people can actually mean it. Not a lot of people can just mean it, and, 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 and no one has a choice as to how it's going to happen. It's going to happen because this person said so. And when Michael makes that kind of statement, what he's essentially saying to us is, I know how it looks. I know how it looks. You're, you're not wrong for thinking that things are, are, are crazy and out of control. You're not, but I got this. I got this. It's a lot bigger than your mind can grasp. It's a lot bigger than what you can, than what you can control. Just, just follow me. Just follow me. At the end of the day, I think Jesus is laying out the context and perspective of his mission to redeem the world, of, of his championship, if you will. He's putting us and our experience in greater context. He doesn't just live to make us feel better. He lives to redeem the pain that we're experiencing. And it's explained and understood only in the context of his redemption story. He knows that. Your, your situation, your individual situation, my situation, what we're going through, only makes sense when we put it in the context of Jesus' narrative, of Jesus' story, his life, death, suffer, life, suffering, death, resurrection. When we put it there, it begins to make sense. We can begin to understand. We can begin to see what's happening around us and where we fit. We can find direction there. Matthew 8, Jesus talks, you know, when the disciples says, let me go bury my father first. And what does Jesus say? He says, Follow me. Let the dead go bury their own dead. Our feelings, our concerns, our affections, they're calling us to him and fellowship with him first. And if this isn't the case for us, if we find ourselves not focused there, if 
we find our emotions, our feelings, our stressors not focused on connecting with Jesus first, then we're doing things out of order, and maybe that's why we're not hearing God speak. Maybe that's why we're not seeing the, 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 you know, the waters part for us. So I want to tune into that today, and I want to tune into that new kind of sight that Jesus is talking about. So we're looking at 16, chapter 16, verses 16 to 33 today. Verse 16, Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. So a better read of this, a better, and there's translations out there that, that read like this, but a better read of this just says, In a little while you will behold me no more, and then after a while you will see me. So in the first translation, we're talking about behold. He's there. He's physically in front of me. You're going to behold me. You can behold me, but then you won't. And then after a while, you're going to see me. What does he mean by that? In the second translation, it's a different Greek word. I won't try to pronounce it, but it's a different Greek word, and it's, it's more general sight. And if we look at how he uses those words in, in chapter 14 and earlier in 16, we can draw more meaning because he's emphasizing this new kind of sight. He's tuning us into this new kind of sight because in those verses, he's emphasizing his, our ability to see him after he's back with the Father. A new way of seeing the world, the spiritual lens. He's pointing us to a new way of seeing and experiencing the world that we live in. He's trying to turn our focus to him in that unseen world through the spirit who is in us. A new way of experiencing him. Moving along. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean in saying, a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? And because I'm going to the Father. They kept asking what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said in a little while, you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the, while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice. And no one will take away your joy. So we have the disciples. I mean, imagine this, right? This one conversation, this, this long few hour sort of events that takes place. And there, he's, he's making these statements, these figurative statements. And they're all going, what's he talking about? And they're, they're trying to figure it out. They're trying to figure out on their own, incidentally, and he's right there. He's right there. Why not ask him? Well, I mean, I don't know. Can you clarify yourself, Jesus? Let me know, what do you really mean by this? What does this mean to me? Do you ever notice how that kind of happens? I don't know about you, but that, that convicted me because when I get into tight spots, my problem is that I, I can talk all day. I will go talk about my problems all day long. I will spend hours calling up. I, I have people I, I'm, I'm on my Rolodex, my phone, who I can call up. It's like, hey, man, remember this? Yeah, what do you think? And I'm getting advice. I'm getting advice. I'm looking for advice everywhere else. And it feels good. It doesn't solve anything, though, you know? It doesn't solve anything for me. And he's right there. Why not go to him and try and connect through that? We like blog articles. We like things that say five steps for this and five steps for that. You know, we get caught up trying to figure things out. We get caught up trying to solve our own problems, and we lose sight of where God's taking us in that and where he's at in that problem. Maybe the disciples don't want to look stupid. Maybe they don't want to ask the dumb question. I don't know. We've all been in that situation, you know. Um, but what... Are we on? Okay. 
Maybe we're okay. But what a crazy thing to do, right? Trying, trying to figure this out on our own. Now, I have all these confused questions. I don't know exactly what I should be doing. I want to point out what Jesus does, because what Jesus does is, is telling us to how he speaks right now. If you've ever felt like praying, if you've ever thought you needed to pray, if you've ever called, that was his invitation first. You didn't come up with that idea. I didn't come up with that idea. That was Jesus. That was, that was the Holy Spirit prompting you, making us think about that. And so what does Jesus do? He, they didn't ask him. Remember, they didn't ask him. He jumps in right to where they're at. And how does he respond? He's a perceptive individual. He's, he's not going to play with you in, 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 the, in the little rational world game that you, that you go in. He's going to come to the heart of the matter. He speaks right to the heart of the issue. What's the source of their confusion? What's driving their confusion? It's, it's grief. It's anxiety. It's fear. It's this unknown sort of thing that's going to be happening. It's been a culmination. His hour, he spoke of his hour. His hour is here. Here it comes. He doesn't simply answer their question, though. He speaks to the heart of their concern. So if we're not hearing God clearly, maybe it's because he's not speaking to our surface-level questions. He's speaking to the heart. And in order to hear him, we have to seek him there and connect with him there first in order to make sense of the circumstances. You know, many of us don't want to go there. Many of us simply don't want to go there. Either we don't know we need to and because we live in some, some sort of unconscious world where we just kind of exist, or we know it. We have past traumas. We have past hurts. We have past pains. We have things that we want to avoid. And there's plenty of stress and circumstances out there in the world. There's jobs and family and your money, things that seem really important, things that, things that we can get caught up in, that we can lose ourselves in. And they're really distractions from really dealing with the heart. I was talking to, actually, this, this, this sort of story was kind of delivered to me on, on Thursday. I had a client that I hadn't seen for about two years. And when I saw her two years ago, she had come to me because she was trying to get out of this, this well, she wasn't trying to get out of the relationship. She was trying to help a relationship that turned out to be pretty abusive, really abusive. She, was, she had, a, she had a, a boyfriend who was extremely controlling. She'd been in with him for six years. And, oh, by the way, I'm pregnant with this guy's child. And I don't know what to do. So we're, we're, we, we worked through that, and eventually she finds the, the courage to, to leave that relationship. Um, it was a pretty sick relationship. So Thursday she comes, and she's talking to me, and she goes, I, I need to get back into this because I have all this stuff I need to deal with. I have all this stuff inside of me that, that I know is there now because I'm in a new relationship and, and I, can't, I can't love this person the way that I should love that person because I have all this stuff and all these worries and fears that are related to that, to being controlled, to being abused. And she goes, you know, God was speaking to me the whole time. And I was like, oh, God, oh, you, you're a, I didn't know. I didn't know you were a Christian. I go, thank you for bringing that up. Let's talk about God. So she says, so she says to me, you know, God was speaking to me the whole time. She goes, you know, he took my phone one day took my phone home with him and said, you don't get, you don't get to have your phone. And I, I had no choice. So for two days, I didn't have my cell phone. This man just had, took my cell phone. And then finally, when he gave me permission to come, to come get my cell phone from him, I had to go get it from him. I'm driving there, and I'm thinking to myself, I shouldn't be going there. What am I doing? What am I doing? This is crazy. This is crazy. And out of the blue, a car, a stolen car, a stolen car, sideswipes her, rolls her over, right? And she gets, the worst thing that happens is three stitches. And she walks away going, oh my gosh. Guess what she did after that? She didn't leave the relationship. She still didn't leave the relationship. That's how strong some of these poles are and how strong some of these are, are the anchors that we have in, in those fears and anxieties that, that, that God is calling us to, to look at and deal with with him in faith. 
Now, eventually, obviously, she did. But that was many stories like that where she heard God speaking, but she didn't want to hear that. She didn't want to hear the answer. So this is what faith in Jesus does. He takes our feelings, he takes our feelings and he frames it for us. He doesn't fix it necessarily. Feelings need to be defined before we can accurately deal with them. He connects it to meaning and purpose, placing it in the context of our relationship with him in the Father's sort of big plan of redemption. He puts it in the context of his story, his life, death, and resurrection. As I said earlier, that's where it makes sense. Feelings are only a problem when we try to define them for ourselves. And we got to be careful because that, that, that's a rabbit hole. We call that rationalization. And we can rationalize ourselves through life to death and, and, have, and have missed the whole mark. So Jesus is saying pretty much here, he says, yes, you feel this way. It's normal. Speaking to the disciples, speaking to us, it's normal. But here's how it makes sense. Let me make sense of it for you. It makes sense in me and my plan. Cling to me and my plan. I'll make sense of it. Apart from me, you're just suffering for no reason. I'm, just, I'm not trying to just feed you with information and some secret to happiness. I'm the key to life, right? Jeremiah 9 talks about this. It's all over the Bible. Understanding God, understanding and knowing God. That's the goal. Knowing him is the knowledge that we should seek. The more we know of him, the more we can make sense of our reality and the context of his plan and purpose. He fosters that dependence on him. We have to abide. We have to depend on him always and see him through that lens of faith. The kind of sight he's talking about here and offering us is perspective. So when, whenever you, from now on, whenever I see the word see in the Bible, see or seen, or, it, 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 it blows me away how many different interpretations there are for that but we should be tuning into this different kind of sight. It's perspective and understanding that he's offering us. The value of perspective, though, is that it's sustainable, right? It's, it's a lens. It's, it's, it's some glasses that we can look at the world through when we have perspective and understanding. It doesn't just answer one question. It doesn't just answer tomorrow's problem. It, it answers all of it in some ways. And holding on to that perspective, maintaining that connection with Jesus is what's going to give us the ability to walk freely, to be free right, is to walk with that understanding. They needed perspective to make sense and meaning of what they were about to face so they would know where to look for him. He's telling us where to look for him so we can follow him. Now, I've never given birth, but I've, but I've watched it. Yep, I, never, I don't want to. I don't want to. Um, but when Anna, when Anna gave birth to Ethan... It was, you know, no, no epidural, no pain meds, all natural. Now, I don't know why. I don't remember ever making a decision about that, but, like, it just happened. And when, when she was done, when she was done, I'll never forget this look because I, I kind of, like, make fun of her sometimes about it because she looked like she was on heroin. She's just like, you know, I mean, her face was glassy. All right, so so we get this joy. We get we get this kind of kind of, um, in spite of the circumstance, joy when we're connected to God. We, can, we can, because we can see. You see, it's already messing me up right now. This thing's already messing me up. 
Because we can see through those circumstances at the truth. We can see through that pain or that experience that we're having, knowing that there's a purpose to it and there's a plan for it. Pain is part of the process. He's not telling us, like our friends might tell us, oh, you shouldn't feel that way. Don't feel that way. It'll, it'll be okay. Don't worry. Jesus doesn't answer that by making us feel better. He answers by providing a perspective for the pain and the feelings that we're struggling with. He doesn't just make, make it about suffering for no reason, though, right? Again, in his story, in his plan, the suffering makes sense. When we endure suffering and loss, when we endure our pain for the purpose of the cross, when we put it there, it's going to bring on spiritual growth. It's going to bring on more of him, more of his spirit. That's the gift. So in short, he answers with perspective, not necessarily specifics. And the more we have of God's specifics, or I mean, sorry, God's plan, the more we have perspective and understanding, the more we can walk with authority and we can stop choking out God's movement in our lives, trying to, trying to, trying to narrow it down to our understanding. Verse 23, in that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. And I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed I came from the Father. I came from the Father and entered the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. So, what does he mean when he says we can ask for anything in his name and that our joy will be complete? What does he mean when he says you'll, you'll no longer ask me anything? Up until that point, the disciples needed to ask him to explain exactly what was going on to, for understanding. He's telling us, that's in you. That's in you. When, when you are abiding in me, when you have your spirit in me, and you focus on that, and you understand through that lens, you will have understanding. You will have perspective. And when you have that perspective, you, you'll know what to ask for, and you'll be able to get it. You won't have to ask me to explain everything if you're in me, because you will have this new kind of sight, this perspective and understanding. One commentator called it participatory knowing or revelatory knowledge through participation in a relationship with Jesus, right? So this, 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 this knowledge that unfolds in front of us, this, this exposure that we get by being and walking with Jesus. So we're able to be looking for things to be revealed to us, and we should be looking for things to be revealed as we walk forward in that first step of faith. A lot of us will linger, will linger, like my client who I was speaking about earlier, will linger on knowing what she should do but not do it for a really long time. And if God wants you to do it, eventually he's going he's to have you do it. And it might, cause, it might be a car accident or a tragedy, but you'll have known the whole time. He's not not speaking to us. As we stated before in chapter 15, um, I think Hugh preached that week, but we were talking about the Father, and we have access to his business plan. We have access to his plan because we're, 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 we're friends of Jesus. We have that understanding and perspective he's giving us freely. He's giving it to us freely. And the understanding is by faith, and it's a way of translating the circumstances in the direction of our life against the conventional wisdom of the world. It's one way in which we can hear God speak. When we have this sight, we're free. 
because we have this new sight, this new understanding and perspective given by him, we're abiding in him, we can ask for things in his name. I, I think the in Jesus' name tag that we add, add on to our prayers, we need to really remember what that actually means. It's not a coupon, you know, it's not, it's not like a, a wild card that we can pull out and ask for things. A lot of us will ask for things in Jesus' name and then we're gonna be standing there waiting, I'm waiting on God. I'm waiting on God, he's gonna move. This is why I, I know, I know he wants this for me. I asked in his name, you know. I know I'll, I'll get anxious sometimes praying, and if I just say amen, I have to like go back and say, wait, hold on, let me, in Jesus' name, let me, make sure, let me make sure I tap that on, right? Because so much anxiety is just tied to saying that. But what he's talking about in praying in his name, it's praying in his power. It's praying in that spirit. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't say that. I'm not saying we shouldn't acknowledge his name and speak his name. I'm just saying we need to be careful because what we're talking about asking for in Jesus' name is more of him, more of understanding, more of God's attributes, more of his love. You want love, you need wisdom, you need love, you need forgiveness, mercy, patience. All the things of God, the fruits of the Spirit, those things, ask for those things in his name. Don't get caught up in the circumstances. God answers prayers, but sometimes the answer is no. And we have to, be, we have to know that, because otherwise we will sit there fixated and, and, and frustrated. And sometimes his answer is no, and he's speaking to us. Paul asked for the thorn to be removed. God said no. Why? I got a, I got a, I got a bigger plan. Don't worry about that. Jesus said, hey, remove this cup. Would you, would you mind removing this cup for me? Can I, can, is there another way around this whole suffering, death, and resurrection? Nope. Nope. So we can waste our time looking for a specific outcome, waiting on God, because we're at, we asked in Jesus' name when all the time he was asking us to learn from that answer. In my work, I, I love my job just because it's like I live in, like in, this, in this, like, it's just the, the relationships at work are just, are just good. I'm just so comfortable at home at work. But my boss, my boss treats me like an equal to a certain extent. She's, very, she's a very strong person. I know that she, that she has herself in that light, but she's a very strong person. And so one of the things that I will do is I'll go into her office and she lets me vent. I'm like, ah, I mean, I, I will just vomit frustration all over. And she'll sit there and go, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I don't know. I, I want to yell at you for another 30 more minutes if you give me permission to. That's all I really want to do. But no, what do you want to do? How do you want to fix it? And I'll, and I'll have to come up with an answer. I'll, I'll, I'll make a request. Well, can we do this? Can we do this? And, and, she, and her answer is always, do I ever say no? Like, like do I ever say no? Just, just what, what do you want to do? Well, yes, she does say no sometimes because she has to because she has more knowledge of the bigger plan than I do. So when I ask a question and, and I want to do something and I want to change something within the system, she says no. And then she explains the answer to me. She explains why. And what do I walk away with? More perspective and more understanding. More power. By asking the question, at the very least, I get more perspective, whether the answer is yes or no. And I think this pattern is true here as well. God is interested in advancing and growing his church. We know that. God is interested in us being plugged into and part of a local church. We know that. He might be pointing us to understand our pain and desire in relation to his purpose and to reveal more of himself to you. So if we're asking and not receiving, it could be this abiding principle that we're in our perspective, not God. He's not trying to mislead us. He's not lying. Jesus doesn't say, hey, follow me, but first you've got to find me. He's making it evident.
So let me repeat verse 28. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, now you're speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see what you know, that you know all things and that you do not even need to ask anyone to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you now believe? Jesus replied, a time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I'm not alone, for my Father is with me. I've told you these things so that you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. I came from the Father and have come into the world. I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. Jesus answered the question they didn't even ask at a level that they weren't expecting that answer to come to. He was speaking to the heart. He, they, that's where they needed to receive it. And when they connected with that, when they knew he was speaking right to their heart, and when he connected there at the heart level, that's when they said, ah, now I see what you mean. Now I see what you mean four hours later, five hours later. And there's this word see again, emphasized to mean understand. I see what you mean. They were struck by his ability to speak to their heart and address their deep concerns. He read them and connected with them on that deep level. And Jesus' reply is actually kind of tongue-in-cheek. He's like, do you really? Do you really believe? Let me tell you some more about what's going to happen, you know. As much as you think you believe, it's about to be tested even more, and you're going to fail, and you're going to run, and you're going to leave me hanging. But don't worry, because even then, you're going to learn that it will always depend on my grace and my mercy. Don't leave that out of the picture. I remember, who's run a marathon? Anybody run a marathon in here? Awesome. You know about the wall. People say hitting the wall. It's like there's no other word for it. Now, I knew about this wall, and I thought, I'm, I'm, I'm tough. I don't care. I can push through this. Just push through. Just, just keep pushing through the wall. There's no other word for it. It's, it's, it's a wall. It feels like a wall. So when you get to that point in time, you know it. You just hit the wall. Because there's no, I mean, I don't know what the medical terminology would be to describe it, but it's just like I can't run anymore. I can't, I can't move. I'm going to die. But you know you hit the wall. You know you hit the wall when you got there. And so it's this experiential thing that you, we have to go through. We have to go through some of those failures. We have to hit that wall and push through. Jesus does that mapping out of the future some more when they say that, when he says, and it's going to make sense after the resurrection, don't worry. After you have that same spirit in me, in, in you that I have in me, then it's going to be complete. You'll be able to stand in this world and walk by faith even to your own death. You'll be able to experience more of me because I'll be in everything, moving and directing my plan, which I've called you to be a part of, connecting that internal stuff that we're dealing with to hit to the external, to his world, and being able to move in line with that. So maybe the problem, like the, like the disciples, maybe we can learn from the disciples that maybe we're running from God when we should be running to God and then standing there and staying there. What a beautiful thing to end with here. I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. We just sold out the Savior of the world. We just sold out God. And what does he say? What does he do? He gives us grace. He can tell us exactly what's going to happen and what we should do. And at the end of the day, it's still going to depend on his grace, not on us completing our tasks. Fellowship with Jesus is the key to the Christian life. And there we have our focus. Whatever you're going through, it's not about you. It's about God and your relationship in him. He will adjust the circumstances as he sees fit. 
And that's not our concern. Our concern is fellowship with him no matter what is holding us back. So I want to end with this verse from Hebrews 12, sort of inspiring. Hebrews 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Focusing our eyes on Jesus. This is, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is so simple, but yet so hard in the world. Can I pray? Okay. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word. Thank you that you continue to speak to us, Lord, and that our ears and our, and our eyes um, are the only problem standing in the way, Lord, but you continue to speak. You continue to give us your perspective, Lord. Help us to tune into that today. Help us to walk our minds out of our, out of our ability to rationalize and solve our own problems and create our own comforts, our own false sense of securities, and help us to find the value, help us to find the, the need and the drive to anchor ourselves in you and in a relationship with you, Lord. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and give us wisdom and give us love for each other and love for this world, Lord, as you have it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope you were encouraged. Don't forget to connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook and Instagram.